Okay. If I can have your attention, please, that'd be very good. That's always a danger when you kind of give everyone a moment so you can talk. So you guys that sat between this post, I promise you, what you'll see is you'll see me do this, and then you'll see me do that, which will mean you'll see me, which would be nice, wouldn't it, for everyone? Um, at some point towards the end, you'll think, man, why don't you just stand in front of the post and I don't get to see you, but we'll get there. I want to start this morning, however, uh, by probably one of my favorite quotes, uh, something that I remember reading a number of years ago, and is impacted, changed, and challenged me along the way. And I want to uh, read it to you. It's uh, by uh, an unknown Anglican bishop who was, at the West, uh, who was at Westminster Abbey. And they said this, When I was young and let my imagination run free, I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered the world would not change. So I shortened my sight somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it too seemed immovable. As I grew into my twilight years, I settled into changing only my family, those closest to me, but alas, they would have none of it. Now, as I lay on my deathbed, I suddenly realized if I had only changed myself first, then by example, I would have changed my family. From their inspiration and encouragement, I would have then been able to better my country, and who knows, I may have even changed the world. For me, the sentiments of this uh, bishop really resonate within me. I have a deep desire to see the world impacted, however, understanding that the beginning of that journey starts with me and starts with you. And it kind of ties in with the series that we've started as a church, looking at this whole aspect of fruit that lasts, of living lives that, that bear the fruit of being bedded into who Jesus is that fruit of the life that he's given us and therefore the life we get to reveal to others. But it isn't that we therefore get to ram something down to other people's throats, say, now receive this life, but rather it, it starts with us actually living in the good of that life. And therefore it actually starts with us as individuals. And that for us to actually leave something, a fruit that lasts, of lives that change forever, actually if you want to really live that way, we've actually got to start with us. And it's with that in mind that I want us to now get to turn to Galatians 5. And if you like, for this series, this is going to be our, our springboard every week. I don't know if you've watched The Big Splash. I've heard it's been a big flop uh, on ITV. Uh, I've not watched it, so I'm not going to judge it. I only judge by what I've read, and it doesn't seem to be something that's gone very well. But the idea of The Big Splash is you're on a, a board, and you're going to jump into the water. If you like, Galatians 5, verses 23, 24 is going to be our springboard over the coming weeks till just after Easter. And we're going to use this as our springboard in order that we'll be able to look at the different uh, fruits that are detailed there uh, in more detail, that we'd spring from that for this passage in order that we then get to look at other passages to understand something of the fruit that we're looking to bear in our lives. But what we're going to discover as we go along this journey is it isn't something that we're to be working hard as individuals at, but rather something that we're to be working with God in as we're going to discover this is all God's activity that we're invited to take part in. And so with that in mind, I want us to jump straight into Galatians 5. Uh, we're going to look at verses 18, then 22, 25. And then from that point on, you're going to see we're going to go on a roller coaster of jumping from different patches, so if you, passages. So if you've got your Bible, you'll probably want to keep your thumb in here, and then we're going to be jumping different bits. There'll be the passages appearing on the screens behind me. But just to pre-warn you uh, where we're going. But it starts like this. But... If you are led by the Spirit, this is Paul writing to the church in uh, Galatians, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. But the fruit, fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature. In other words, they've died to their own desires. Them ruling their life in their own way with its passions and desires. Therefore, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Where I want to start off, though, is with Brighton Rock. Brighton Rock, not the cult movie, but rather the souvenir uh, suite. See, Brighton Rock, when you get it, and you can get the same by any seaside town, actually, when you buy a chunk of Brighton Rock, it says Brighton Rock in it, and if at any point you break it, it still says Brighton Rock. And if you like, when we look at this passage of Galatians 5, 23 to 24, these attributes, these characters, these fruits of the Spirit that are being detailed are meant to be true for all believers. It's meant to be like a stick of rock. It isn't that it's like a multiple choice option where we look and we say, actually, as a, as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to be someone who's like, who shows gentleness, kindness. That sounds kind of good. Yeah, I'll do that. Self-control. Yeah, I'll leave that one at the moment. Goodness. Yeah, I don't mind being known as good. Yeah, I have a bit of joy. I would say, that's, that's me done. Actually, you know, what Paul's writing here is saying, this is the fruit of anyone who's in Jesus. And therefore, if you like, it's, it's like if we were to be looking at us as a stick of rock, we'd be opened up and the nine words that would be in us would be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What it means, therefore, that is for us as a community... For us as a church, we want to be a church that's known for these fruits. We want it to be that when people come into contact with us as a church, what they encounter are these fruits. But in doing so, like Brighton Rock, we want it to be that it isn't just something they see collectively. It's also that if they were to take any individual out of Oasis and say, actually, do you match up then with what you're saying as a whole you're about? They discover, like Brighton Rock, wherever you break us, slightly bad analogy of this, but whatever bit you kind of break off, actually discover it's the written, the same things in all of us. See, this isn't a journey about some of the, the kind of really passionate ones, where the rest of us get to sit back and say, oh, aren't they really going for it, taking it a bit seriously? Actually, this is about us as a community being who God has called us to be, and therefore revealing something about the wonder of who God is. And so... We get to reveal it together. Now, at this point, we need to understand there's a key ingredient. See, this isn't going to be a series where we're kind of looking at a self-help guide, where we look, actually, we want to have a good life, and here are nine steps to the good life. And we kind of do some self-improvement, looking at love and joy and peace, and we kind of take a week on, week out, saying, isn't this nice? And it kind of feels like we could get a book that says, here's a better life at the end of it. Actually, we need to understand that these fruits that are detailed here are fruits of God. We're told that they're fruits of the Spirit. So this is part of who God is as Father, Son, and Spirit is revealing these characteristics, these fruits of life. And actually, it's the Spirit who's now within us. If we put our trust in Jesus, as we looked at last week, the, the Spirit is now residing within us and is yearning to bring within us, partner with us, to bring these characteristics out of us. Now, what does it look like? Well, Paul kind of uses two words. He says it's about being led by the Spirit and about, being, about walking in step with the Spirit. See, 
At this point, I should have asked for a couple of volunteers, but I can't do that. I just need to pick people. And so please don't take it personally if I don't pick you. For some of you, you're going to think, I'm really glad you didn't. But as they're kind of on the front row, and I, I, I kind of know they'll be okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to go for Sam and Ed. And so Sam and Ed, can I, can I come here, please, for a moment? And Sam and Ed are going to help me. Sam's going to have a really good job. He's going to be the Holy Spirit. That's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> At this point, some of you are thinking, man, this is wacko. We're now t- talking about people who are the Holy Spirit. No, no, this is an illustration. So Sam's going to be the Holy Spirit, and Ed is going to be us. Now, this may or may not work depending on the strength of Sam. Now, I'm kind of reckoning these guys are both a bit bulked up, so I think it's better than me. But what we've got, and they're feeling really nervous because they don't know where this is going. But let's feel the nerves with them, the tension in the room. But what we've got is, if you like, as a believer in Jesus, we can look and see these nine fruits and say, actually, yeah, I want to see that in my life. And we're told that it's fruits of the Spirit, therefore the Spirit's going to bring it out of us. And if we're not careful, what it can kind of mean is that we end up just sitting back and say, okay, I'm just going to live my life as I want to live it. I'm going to do what I want to do. And the Spirit's in me and he's just going to make my life like this. And so it feels like the Spirit's just going to come and carry me. We know where it's going. (laughs) Oh, look at that. The barking paid off. And so we feel like it's just going to be that we get carried around. But the thing is, that's a total misunderstanding. You can drop him now. There's a total misunderstanding, like carefully. It's a total misunderstanding of what Paul's writing here. Because he says that we're being led by the Spirit. But he also says we need to be walking in step with the Spirit. So actually, this is more what it looks like. So Sam, if you stand over here, what we have is the Holy Spirit is within us. And is wanting to lead us into these fruit. Now, obviously, the illustration is breaking down at this point. I can't place Sam inside Ed. Please just work with me on this one. Um, but what we've got is, is the Spirit is working in us, working desire. A desire within us to see these fruits in our life. And he's wanting to lead us this way, saying, come on, come this way, come for joy, come for love. Now, for us as Ed, we then get a decision to make. Are we going to choose to follow this desire that's in us? Are we going to choose to be led by the Spirit? Are we going to choose to put ourselves in line, to walk in step? That word, walk in step, means literally to put ourselves in line with. And so hopefully we do. And so it comes a bit closer so we don't hit pianos. And so what happens is we then get led. We get to walk in line with the Spirit. And what happens is then the Holy Spirit, in kind of leading us, us walking in line, also somehow kind of turns to the side. is able to put a hand on our back and not only lead us, but actually push us in the right direction as well. <laughs> and they push in the right direction to their seats. Um, well done. <laughs> See, what we've got here is the Spirit is wanting to work within us. Work within us in a way to say, actually, I'm going to change your desires. Your desires for self-seeking kind of behavior to actually change that and say, actually, I want to cause you to live in the good of the life that Jesus has offered you. And if we're going to cause you to desire things that are about that life of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of self-control, of faithfulness, of gentleness. I said, I'm going to put that desire in you and say, come on, let's go this way. And then we, as the one who's founded in Jesus, say, actually, I see this desire in me. I see the Holy Spirit working in. And I choose to say, I want to give myself to that. Knowing as I give myself to going after love, as I give myself to going after joy, that Holy Spirit, you lead me in it and you provide for me as I go this way. 
And I want us to keep that mental image, and I promise you, you will week on week. You'll continuously, whenever you see Sam and Ed now, you'll think, me and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> You're going to realize that it's not about being a passenger. It isn't about some magic thing that's going to go on where you, you suddenly get transformed in who you are because you get carried. It's rather this understanding that fundamentally you're putting your faith and trust in Jesus. The Spirit comes in you and starts to give you this new desire, a new desire of how you live. And then we get, as followers of Jesus, to choose to live that way. As we choose to live that way, the Spirit encourages us in it. And I want us to keep that mental image as we go week on, week out. Because if we don't keep that mental image of partnering with the Spirit, it will quickly kind of go back to some sort of self-effort, self-idea of what we're trying to be and become. And so this morning, with that all in mind, that kind of sets us hopefully up week on, week out. I want to then center in then, in terms of the first fruit that Paul details. That's the fruit of love. And at this point, maybe we think, well, man, I've been a follower of Jesus for time, and I've, I've heard loads of stuff spoken about love. I've heard loads of stuff of, of people talk about how God loves me and how I'm to love. And at this point, I think, yeah, I kind of get this. Well, please bear with me for a moment, because I want to argue with you slightly. And you can come up to me afterwards and say, I, I felt you a little bit confrontational on that one, Adrian. And I want to say, if you think you've got it, you've missed it. Because the wonder of love is that however much we explore it, we realize how much we don't know. And I know for me personally, as I've encountered and looked and explored and plumbed the depths again of what I can conceive of God's love, what I can conceive of what I'm in to reveal of God's love, it's undone me again. It's caused me to see how little I know and how little I yet reveal. And yet how vast there is to explore and how vast it is to show. And my hope is that I'm able to do some justice to what I believe God wants to do through us this morning in this. And you see, I don't think it's by mistake that Paul starts this list of fruit with love. Because I think he starts it this way because actually we're to understand as followers of Jesus, we are those that are founded on love. See, John, in his letter, uh, 1 John, it says this, it says... Um, that God is love. We love because God first loved us. You see, in this understanding that we're, we're to bear this fruit of love, the, the foundation point has to be this understanding. It's not about, therefore, a call to do. It's actually a call to remember, firstly, what we've experienced. That we can never reveal love until we fully experience love. We can never show love until we've fully understood what we've known of love. And so we get this point where we need to understand that we're founded on love. That any love we're able to show, any love we're able to reveal is out of the understanding, the knowledge of the love that we've received from God. If you don't know who you think God is, maybe you're around us at the moment and you're very welcome if you're just trying to scratch away and say maybe there's more to life than what I thought maybe there is a God but I'm, I'm trying to work out what that God's like the God of the Bible is depicted as Father, Son and Spirit and in the letter written by John he kind of pens two words to describe who God is he says God is light in other words God is perfect God is able to expose darkness. 
God is attractive. That's who God is. And then he says, actually, there's this other word, though, that we need to understand that describes who God is. And he says, God is love. You see, that changes everything. And we'll look at that in a moment. But the fact that God is love actually affects everything about who God is. Because it doesn't mean that love is a characteristic of God. It doesn't mean that love is an attribute of God. It actually means that the very essence of who God is, is love. Just say that again. The very essence of who God is, is love. The very being of God is love. I read this quote by George Bethune, who's, I think, reveals something of the wonder and the complexity of that statement that God is love. He writes this, God was love long before he had made any creature to be the object of his love, even from all eternity. I'll read it again. God was love long before he had made any creature to be the object of his love, even from all eternity. See, you have to get your head around it a bit. What, what he's saying is, before there was anything created for God to love, he was love. It wasn't that in him creating, he suddenly took on the attribute of love to love what he created. He's actually saying, no, no, before, etern- before time, be- as eternity was there, as in eternity is a statement of beyond time. So before anything was created, God was. And God was love. God as Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Spirit was love. That's what he was. Love. And that then as he created, what was evidence was who he is, which is love. It wasn't that he became love through creating. It was he was love. And then he created. And then he loved. And you see, the marvelous fact of it is that because God is love, we then get to know that we are loved. Paul later writes, or earlier writes in Romans, that's in Romans, he says, you know, God demonstrated his love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, whilst we were rebellion to God, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. That God loves us. God loves us before we loved him. And it's only out of understanding his love for us we're then able to love. See, what we've received in God is a proclamation that he loves us. A proclamation that he loves us that's revealed through his son Jesus living and dying and rising again. See, there can become that question that says, well, God, does God really love me? And we kind of look at our life and say, man, I look at what's happened in my life and say, does that really bear the, the, kind of, the marks of a God of love? And at that point, we have to question God. And, and God, in turn, turns to us and reminds us of the fact, and I'm not diminishing the, the cost and the pain that's been in our life. But the fact of it is that we live in this fallen world. And that within this fallen world, with much hurt and pain, God put a sign out. A sign out that was then to cover the whole of history. There was to be this proclamation of, this is how much I love you. And that was his son nailed to a cross. That God, whenever he's questioned, how much do you love me? He'd be to point to the cross and say, this much. 
See, at the cross, what we find is the substance of this love. The substance of God's love for us. See, at the cross, what we find is the substance of this love is sacrificial. We find that Jesus, who is God, sacrifices himself for all. When Jesus was talking to his disciples in the most intimate moment, what we've been looking at last week and the week before in the, the passage of the vine and the branches, he gets to this point and he, he just says, guys, greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. And in that moment, he looks at them and says, and you are my friends. And Jesus understood the, the reason for the cross was because of love. Love to win us back to God. Love out of it. Say, actually, I know that you don't deserve this, but I love you and I want to know you. And therefore, I've got to deal with your rebellion, deal with the consequences of it. And my son's going to do that on the cross. Jesus said, I'm going to do that on the cross. And does it out of love. See, we get to see at the cross that there is substance to God's love because it is sacrifice, that God gave all in order that we could gain all. But it's only not only that is it sacrificial, it's also unconditional. And the reality is, God loved us before we ever loved him. That's love. It's not love on condition of, well, you've earned my love. You know, what you've done has pleased me, therefore I love you. It's actually what you've done has displeased me, but I love you. That's a benchmark of unbelievable love, unconditional love. A God who says, I love you no matter. And we're told also that this substance of love isn't just sacrificial, isn't just unconditional, but it's unending. I find that Paul gets taken away in Romans 8. If you ever get time, just always go back to Romans 8 and just keep reading it. Just blows you away and he gets taken away of just marveling at the wonder of God's love demonstrated in Jesus Christ. And he gets to this point and says, can anything separate us from the love of Jesus? And he goes through everything he could ever imagine that could. And he says, nothing can. Any of this stuff that could happen, even if you die, it will not separate you from the love of God demonstrated in Jesus. It's unending. We get to know this love. See, we're loved by a love that has substance, that's sacrificial, that's unconditional, that we cannot be separated from. And therefore, it changes everything. That's the point that we're founded on love, and it's changed everything. How? Well, Michael Jackson, in his address to Oxford University, helps us understand why. At this point, you're suddenly thinking, did you really say Michael Jackson? Yes, I am talking about Michael Jackson, the dead pop singer. He said this, if you enter this world knowing you are loved, and you leave this world knowing the same, then everything that happens in between can be dealt with. See, I think Michael Jackson got hold of something we failed to get hold of as those that are loved by God and have understood and experienced that love of God. And that is because we are now those that have got this love that was at such a great cost, got this love that is unconditional got this love that we will never be separated from. We get to live a life that is one where it starts in love and will end in love. It will never change. We'll always be loved. And therefore, everything that goes in between, everything that goes from that point where we suddenly have that realization that God loves me, to the point where we die and finally meet him face to face. 
and we get to live this life that's just characterized by love, we just realize that whatever life throws at us, it can be dealt with. Because everything's changed. See, the Holy Spirit is working within us to allow us to know this love. Again, Romans 8 helps us understand that, of the, saying that the Holy Spirit's working in us to allow us to know the love of the Father. In order that something would go on within us and say, actually, it isn't just this head knowledge of who God is, God's good. But actually, no, God loves me. Loves me so much that he is my Father. So actually, there's something in me that starts to cry out, Abba, Father, I'm not approaching a distant God who is just out to smite me, but rather this God who loves me. Who I can come and say, you are my Father. See, knowing that God loves us changes everything. It gives us security. That we're as loved as much as we ever will be and ever could be. It gives us value because we realize the cost at which our love was shown, the death of Jesus. It gives us acceptance that God loves us no matter what. And it gives us comfort. Regardless of what happens, we're loved. And as far as I see it, in everyone I speak to, they're always looking for those four things, security, value, acceptance, and comfort. And God says in his love for us, it gives it. And so therefore we get to live from a foundation of the fact that we are loved. So what does it mean then to live from love? At this point you can think, well then, surely at this point is that we now say, how do we love? Let's just give some practical things. Get out there and love people. No, no, we don't rush to that point yet because at this point we need to suddenly think, okay, we're founded on love. The Spirit is working in this desire to love. Then this is who you are. You were loved. But it isn't enough. We now need to say, well, what does it mean to live in this love? At this point, we have to jump in to 1 Corinthians 13. If you've got your Bible, you suddenly flick through and think, man, we're in Galatians, we've been in Romans, now we're in 1 Corinthians 13. We are jumping around today. Because the Bible tells these stories, hooks us in. We get to 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's expose of what love is. And we find that actually to live in love means if you ignore it, it's noisy. Verse 1 to 3 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but not have not love, I gain nothing. See, Paul in him talking to the Corinthian church, and we haven't got time to kind of look at it all in detail, but in him talking to them and to us, it isn't that he's saying to kind of speak in tongues or to give prophecy or to bring understanding or to give your possessions to the poor or to even be willing to lay down your life is wrong or rubbish. He's rather saying, if love hasn't motivated those actions, then it's just a noise. It has to be love. Well, what can motivate us? Well, I'd say three things other than love can motivate us. Guilt, fear, and pride. And so that fear element, if you like, is that expectation of duty, I think, can come with fear. So I have a fear of what other people can think, so you think, I better do it. So you have guilt, fear and duty, and pride. 
And so what you can find is if you're not careful, you, you can see someone in need. And you go and you find them and you say, hey, I, I see you needed this. And so I thought I'd come and give you it. And it, it's kind of out of love. But if we're not careful, it may not be out of love. Or it could be we hear on a Sunday someone say, hey, our oasis, we're not after your money. Hey, but we're going to pass some pots around if you want to give in to what we're about and say, God, you're the number one of my finances. Hey, you can give into finances. And we hear that and we start to respond. Or maybe, and this isn't disrespectful to anyone who did it, maybe it's that we sleep outside for a night to raise money for people who are rough sleeping. Man, that costs. And Paul says, if our motivation in those three things is unlove, it'll be a noise. What do I mean? Well, if like you're someone who kind of gets around and you're looking and you're, you're thinking, man, I just see that person in need. And we go up to me and say, hey, I see that you really need this. And I just thought, man, I can do this. And we give them what we need. Then we go around and tell other people. We say, hey, you know what? I saw them. And I thought they needed need, and I thought, you know what, I, I can do something about it. I can really do something about it, because I'm kind of there. I can make a difference. It's a noise. It's unpleasant. Because suddenly, something that we thought that we were doing out of love actually was all about us. We want other people to hear about, hey, gosh, what I've done. Who cares? Just do it out of love. Because when we hear someone say, guess what I've done, we hear... see the pot come round on a Sunday we think, oh, other people are giving money in oh man I better put money in I better put what people are going to think I don't put money in whoever symbols that is they're like totally freaking out they're thinking you're busting my symbols sorry um, maybe they're not in the room <laughs> um, there's you getting the picture if there isn't love it just becomes a noise So we don't ignore it. We get motivated by it. How? We see the fact that we are unconditionally loved. The fact that we get everything we were ever looking for means that we therefore get to demonstrate this love. We get to demonstrate a love that's sacrificial and unconditional. We get to live out of that place of what? Security? Comfort? We get to live out of a place of acceptance, a place of value, which means that we understand that we've got those four things and we never need to look for them. So as we look and we provide for others, as we demonstrate love towards others, as we use our heart to motivate for love, love towards others, we, we're not looking for any of that. We're not looking for recognition. We're not looking for value. We're not looking for acceptance. We're not looking for comfort because we realize we've already got it in God. So it frees us. But it isn't just that living from love causes us to not be noisy. I'd say as Paul puts flesh in what love looks like, we get to understand that it points to fruit. The fruit of love points and flows and creates fruit. So you find that Paul, in detailing what love looks like, says love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. See, in Paul describing what love looks like, actually because we're also looking at love under the guise and under the, the springboard of Galatians 5, you suddenly think, man, 
you could kind of connect these, can't you? That what seem to be the attributes of love seem to be the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. And so you suddenly find that actually every other fruit that we're going to look on week on, week out, outflows, flows out of, connected, unified by love. So you find love is what? Patient. Fruit of the Spirit, patience. Love is kind. Fruit of the Spirit, kindness. Love does not envy. Fruit of the Spirit, goodness. Love does not boast and is not proud. Fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. Love is not self-seeking, not easily angered and keeps no record of wrongs. Fruit of the Spirit, self-control and peace. Love rejoices with the truth. Fruit of the Spirit, joy. Love always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. Fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. That out of love all the other fruits flow. If we're not founded and living in love, then actually Paul's saying, there's no way the other stuff's going to come out. Actually, it's the Spirit working us through love. It then bears this other fruit. It's kind of characterized by love. And it's joined and unified by love. But it doesn't end there. We like to find that living from love in this passage isn't just about not being annoyed, that all the other fruit flows from it. It also never ends. This is one of the passages that blows my mind where Paul writes this, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. A mirror in those days was like a piece of metal. And therefore as metal, it kind of got distorted and stained. And so the reflection you got of yourself in a mirror was very, very dull. But one day, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Here's the deal. In being founded on love, we need to understand that love will remain forever. Paul gets to this point. He says, you know what? At the moment, our lives of what we know of God, of what we know of his love for us, of, of what we've experienced of it, it's like a dim mirror. What we see isn't that clear. But one day, we'll meet God and we'll see him face to face. It'll be as though you're seeing me and I'm seeing you. We'll see God like that. And Paul says, when we see God like that, when we see God in the the fullness of his glory, his majesty, his beauty, at that moment, we'll be overwhelmed with his love for us. At that moment, when we see the fullness of his glory and beauty and majesty, we suddenly realize, this is the one who loves me? And we suddenly realize what we've known of his love is like a dim reflection. We suddenly realize, when it's in light of who he truly is, when I see him face to face, I'm overwhelmed by his love for me. So much so that Paul gets to this point, he says, what remains? Well, when you finally see God, you don't have to have faith in him. It is great to have faith, but when you see him, you no longer need to trust, is he there? We can see he's there. That when you finally see him, you no longer, no longer need to hope. Why? Because hope is fulfilled. He's there. Hope is good for now, but one day it will end because we'll see him. We don't need to hope at that point. Hope has come. He's there. But the one thing remains is love. Amen. Man, what a future. <laughs> we say, oh, it all starts in love. It continues in love. Oh, yeah, when we finally meet God, we suddenly realize that everything we know was a pale reflection of what was to come. And we just get to live in the fullness of his love. Yes. Vince is excited. (laughs) Maybe at this point you think, but it's all gooey. No, it's not. It's a love of substance. A love that provides the very essence of what we've ever looked for. And so that one day we get to live for eternity, rooted and established in him who is love. 
that then gives shape to who we are now. So we get to this point. People think, man, I'm glad we did worship after this because one, we want to worship this wonderful God, but two, we've got some time today to look at this. And we get to this point point, we say, okay, so we're founded on love, so we live in love. But somewhere in my notes, it's gone. There it is. No, it's not. There it is. I do have notes. I know some of you think I don't ever have notes, but I do. Somewhere. Oh, there we go. This is what happens if you never follow your notes. You don't actually know what's on there. There is some notes, I promise. Somewhere. I'm actually making up. It's just my shopping list. Um, <laughs> founded in love, living from love, we therefore love. It cannot be any other way. It couldn't be that we started at the point of saying, yeah, through the Spirit, therefore we love. Let's go and love. Actually, we need to understand how we can love because we've been founded on love. In being founded on love, we realize we live from love. And therefore, we can love. Jesus said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Luke 10, 27. See, therefore, we love. Not because we're told to. Not out of duty, but actually out of desire. Out of the wonder of what we've known of love. Out of the wonder of what we've experienced of love, of the wonder of the Spirit working in us, bringing the realization that we are loved, we therefore desire to love. We therefore allow the Spirit to build that desire to love. We pray, we say, God, would you, Spirit, would you work within me to allow me to love more? We remember. Why have we done all the groundwork? Why did I take us back and say, do you remember we're loved? Do you remember we live from love? Because actually as we remember that, it does our heart good. We think, man, I'm so rich in what I've known of love. I've this future in love. Therefore, I'm able to love from that place. I'm not kind of willing something up. I'm basing it on a reality. Therefore, we love who? We do what Jesus says. We love God. And we love God with what? With our heart, our soul, and our mind, and our strength. What does that mean? It means that we love God with our whole self everything we are, every sinew, every strength, is just saying, God, at the core of who I am, I want it to be about loving you. And you know what? We need the Spirit to help us. Because so often we can find that our gaze gets taken off to other things, and oh, maybe I should love that. Maybe that'll provide what I need. We have to keep coming back and say, actually, knowing you, God, is everything I've ever needed. Anything, everything I've ever wanted is found in you. Therefore, I love you. I put my heart on you. I put my whole life around you. And so we love God. But because we love God, we love what God loves. And therefore, we love people. See, isn't that Jesus at this point saying, love God and love your neighbor? Isn't like he's saying, all right, you've got this 50-50 split of how you live your life. You're kind of 50% loving God, 50% loving people. Actually, he's saying, no, this is the whole same thing. Because you're loving God, you will always love people. Isn't a split part of you loving God is that you love people. John kind of was very offensive on this one. He says, if you don't love people, you don't know God. You're a liar. He says, like, the only way it can be worked out if you love God is that you're loving people. So therefore we give ourselves, not because we have to, out of duty, because we want to, out of a love for God. We say, of course I'm going to love people. How do we practically do that? Let me give you three things to finish off with. So we can feel like, oh yeah, practically now I can root this. I'd say let's do it firstly in needs. 
Let's love people in the needs that we see they have. They may be material needs, needs, things they need physically, uh, kind of in terms of food, housing, water, clothing, cars, transport, whatever it is. We just look and we see the need and we say, how can I provide for this? But it could also be in respect to emotional needs. It could be being listened to, understood, comforted. Here's the deal. The only way we can love someone by taking care of their needs is by setting aside our own. That's what it means. It means to practically love, it means to sacrifice, doesn't it? It means to love unconditionally. It means you, they haven't deserved it. It isn't like, oh yeah, I owe them. I better love them now. You know, they, they were with me. They cooked me a meal. I better cook them one. No, that's not how it works. It's that actually, I set aside what I need at this point to prefer them. So it's need. Second one, encouragement. What's encouragement? It's building other people up. It's not flattery. It's not kind of not meaning it. That's empty flattery. So you go up saying, oh, you look really nice today. You don't mean it at all. That's just flattery. It's rubbish. Or you'll kind of say, hey, you look great. You know what? You're really good at this. Can you do that for me? That's flattery. That's, get, that's manipulation. Get them to do something. Encouragement is where you go up to someone. They say, do you know what? I think this is amazing what you've done. Man, we live in a day and age where it's so much about self that rarely do people ever get anyone to say anything positive about them. And we've had the creator of the universe speak love over to us, say to us that we are valued by the cross. We therefore get to reveal that through everyday life. I've just in those moments saying, man, how can I in this conversation build up this person? But I know them. It doesn't matter, man. The amount of times on a kind of time at the co-op, because I spent quite a bit of time there, co-op around by the corner, and there's the, the conveyor belts going. I'm just chatting to the person, and I'm looking for this opportunity to say, what can I say that just says, thank you, and you're great? So I'm looking for it. So there's one guy I'm getting to know at the moment. He just tells me loads about films. So I say to him, it's just great how much you tell me about films. I've taken so many of your recommendations on. Many of the films you've recommended, I'm never going to watch because they're horror films. I don't like those. But some of them are brilliant. I said, there's one film that I've talked about. I said, oh yeah, my, me and my son watched it. We loved it. And you can see him kind of thinking, man, I was just kind of scanning things and now you're building me up. I'm not saying this again to kind of try and say, look at me, look at me. No, no. I'm just like practically saying, this is easy, isn't it? That's like complicated to just say something nice and building up of someone. And yet it shows love. So encouragement, last one, forgiveness. This is the most painful one. It's really painful to forgive because we have to let go. And sometimes we forgive when someone hasn't actually asked for forgiveness. And we do it because actually we want to love them. And even though they may not deserve it, we still say, I forgive you. I let it go. I'm not going to remember it anymore. I'm going to deal with this like God deals with me. I'm going to kind of forget it as far as the east is from the west. I'm not going to keep bringing it up every time you get it wrong again. I'm just going to forget it. I'm going to forgive you. And I promise you that is the easiest thing to say and the hardest thing to live out. Jesus, when he was quizzed, kind of got told, now how many times should you forgive someone? And he goes, 70 times 7. Everyone's thinking, all right, what is that? Let's get a calculator. 70 times 7. All right, once I get to that number, that's it. I can't forgive him anymore. Now what he's meaning is, not that there's a magical number at which you get to, but he's saying, actually, you keep on forgiving 
until you've forgiven. That's the point. Now in it, that means for some of us, there's stuff that we've held on. And we just need to say, no, I need to let go. Why? Because it demonstrates love. Love to that person, love to God, and love to ourselves. I promise you, when you live with unforgiveness, the person that hurts the most is you. Jesus told a story about an unmerciful servant who received so much mercy, had loads of debts written off, and then immediately went to someone and said, you still owe me five quid, I'm throwing you in prison. And then when the person who'd forgiven them, who'd been merciful to that servant, of all of the debt that they'd owed, found out how unmercifully they'd reacted to someone else. So he was thrown in prison. When we don't forgive, the only person that does harm to is us. Now, for some of you, you're saying, but we don't know what they did. Now, forgiveness means that we don't remember. But it doesn't mean that we have to keep returning to where someone's done us harm. Can I just put that as a quick caveat? That actually for some of us, a minority of us, actually we're just in situations where people have done things that are just abusive and harmful. And for us to forgive doesn't mean that we keep standing in the way and allowing them to hit us again. In, like physically or emotionally. Jesus, the Bible's really clear on this. There's a proverb about it. It says, the dog who returns to his vomit is like the fool that returns to his folly. That's a beautiful proverb. Man, who likes to eat sick? <laughs> That's what it's like. You, just because someone wants to eat sick doesn't mean we have to go with them and do it. Therefore, there's some people we have to just forgive and then distance ourselves from them. Saying, until you're ready to stop eating sick, I can't be with you. I do forgive you. And so we also give ourselves to loving people through forgiving. So where does it leave us? Why well, I'd say it leaves us here. Now I've got a form of notes again. Man, this is a nightmare today. We get to reveal and live in a life characterized by love. And the question is, are we? Are we living in this place? Do we need to investigate it more? We're on a journey just discovering who God is. I'm not pushing you to a conclusion to them saying, man, if, if it's this good, surely it's worth investigating. Maybe we need to get to remember. We just need to give ourselves, maybe it's daily, just remembering what it truly means that God loves us. And then lastly, maybe it's that we need to be revealing it. Maybe we suddenly realize that actually the wonder of what we've got is so wonderful we need to show it. Not because we're being coerced, not because we kind of think, oh yeah, this I better do this, but rather because we just think, man, this is wonderful. Why would I not want to share this love with others? Should we spend some time, just to finish off with, just marveling and reveling at this wonderful, amazing God. At this point, some of you might be thinking, no. Well, I'm sorry, we are going to do that. So, slightly controlling, I guess. But I wonder, can I get all of us just to stand up to focus on God? And whilst we're there, the bands will come behind and magically pull things around that I've messed up.